But now what's going on at Google and YouTube? Because they own YouTube as well. Alphabet own Google, YouTube. It's basically, like, it's made me not want to have a YouTube channel. It's like they're such cunts. All the right-wing video, all the conservative voices on YouTube, all of their videos get, like, 90% of them get demonetized. YouTube are obviously saying to them, you can't make a living here, basically. You can post videos here if you want, but you're not going to make any money. You're not going to earn a living doing it. I never bought that from YouTube. Oh, it's just, it's just a dispassionate, objective algorithm that decides what you see and what you don't. And it's not. There's a human being there like, I don't like this. I'm, I'm going to make sure this doesn't ever get featured. Or it doesn't show up in related videos or whatever. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Tom, Dick and Not Hyman show. Hyman's still in his zero-hour contract purgatory. Nevertheless, I do have two very fine guests with me. A man who's no stranger to controversy. Once again, Tim is on the show. Hello, everybody. And joining Tim and I today, we have Cameron. That, that, that's me. How are you doing, Cam? I'm not bad, man. I'm not bad. I'm eager to talk about the uh, Godzilla film. I'm more excited about the impending thermonuclear war in Asia. <laughs> So we're going to be talking about that, and also uh, we discuss the Google Memo Guy, or the Google Manifesto, as some people were dressing it up to be. Mein oh. Kampf, more like mind Fuck Up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys hear about the Google Memo slash Manifesto? anti-diversity screed i'd heard like mixed uh, stories about it my first impression was that he'd essentially released a company-wide memo he was highly um well, what was his james dormore james Durmore. he's like a google software engineer i believe yeah wrote a rather right-wing memo uh and circulated it around the business but you later explained to me that he'd, he'd done it in like a closed circuit And that had got leaked by someone else with a certain amount of vitriol attached. Basically, he wrote a 10-page essay, I would call it, really, basically explaining how Google has become ideologically just completely left-wing and has gone in for this uh, equality and diversity full bore. Like, Google has spent something like $260 million over the last few years on things like racial sensitivity courses... Apparently they do some like women's gender studies courses and things like that. And it's kind of mandatory if you're a Google employee, you have to attend these things. Now, this guy, like, I think his biggest sin or crime is just stupidity. Like, if, if he claims to know this organisation that he works for so well, he should have been able to predict the sort of outcry that would have happened. He did. Backlash. He did predict it. I write. In the, in in the, the essay, he writes. Yeah. In the essay, he's saying Google has become too lopsided in terms of left-wing ideology and it's the result is there's a lot of google employees who aren't fully on board with it who are as cameron says perhaps right-wing and they're made to feel uncomfortable or well, almost like shamed or well, maybe guilt-tripped into uh trying to change their ideological beliefs or guilt-tripped into leaving maybe he maybe he just felt so pissed off like you say this 10 page thing maybe it was just like a very very long suicide note he was going to leave anyway <laughs> no but one like I no said, one eagerly loses their job like that to be no because but you know there's always the possibility of suing it being america we're talking silicon valley yeah and i believe the state there has what's called uh, at will employment so you can hire someone straight away and you can fire someone conversely on the other hand you can fire someone yeah. for any reason at any time 
So either he was very stupid or he just thought, well, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this. So let's just do it. I think he thought he was emailing people who were perhaps not guaranteed to agree with him, but at least would be somewhat sympathetic and hear him out. Whereas I think he knew there was a lot of other people in the company that if they read this, he would be in trouble and it got leaked. He emailed it to like-minded people and then someone saw it, took a great offense to it and leaked it to the whole company, basically. And like with it being the internet, even me, who without really caring about the story, I got to see quite a few of the responses from you know, rank and file Google employees who read it and they were talking about needing like fucking, they didn't even know the guy and they were talking about needing fucking therapy <laughs> because they felt like personally assaulted and they, you know, he can still work for the company, but I will not attend any meeting he's in. I will not talk to him. I will not have any communication with him, you know, because a group of uh, women were so offended. They were so traumatized by what he wrote allegedly that they decided not to show up for work. But I don't think they actually read it. Because I think a lot of people, like, what their take of it was, was completely at odds with what he wrote. I mean, the main takeaway I saw online was, oh, he told all of his female colleagues that they basically, they didn't belong at Google, they weren't good enough to work for Google. And that's not what he wrote at all. Well, he basically, all he wrote was... the men are slightly better than women. No, not really. He basically said there are averages, like comparing and contrasting men with women. First of all, there are differences, whereas Google's company ethos is that, no, men and women are exactly the same. They're to be treated exactly the same. His point was men and women are to be treated the same, sure, in terms of you shouldn't show favorability to one side or the other, but men and women are not exactly the same. There are average differences between men and women. But the mainstream media reaction to it was saying that, oh my God, look at this retrograde reactionary piece of shit telling women they shouldn't be working for Google. And I think a lot of the Google employees read the mainstream reaction to what he wrote. I don't think they actually read the 10 page essay at all. Yeah, but like the interesting, the thing I find interesting is for all the fire and fury that's been created over this this story, Google is a private entity. It's a private company and what it does and what standards it chooses to apply to itself or its own business. So it, why is everyone so upset about it or getting interested? It's an interesting story, maybe because Google's monopoly and in terms of our access to the internet, maybe mm. it is worthwhile examining the values of our gatekeepers. I think the reason why some people got ticked off with this, the initial response from Google CEO and president of the higher-ups was like, yes, listen, we encourage this kind of thing. We like to have debate at Google. We encourage our employees to share their beliefs, their ideas, what have you. And then 24 hours later, they fired him. So there was like, that's a bit of a contradiction, isn't it? Well, no, it's just being stupid, isn't it? You could work for the best company in the world, but you have your game face and your home face. Like, you don't share everything with your work colleagues or show your true self to them. But Google because encourages you, that, though. I know, it's sinister. Because, like, <laughs> you know, like I say, because you don't want your boss knowing too much about you, what you get up to at the weekends and stuff, because it can affect your image. I mean, like, there definitely was a contradiction whereby, um, in the end, they fired him for what they called a uh, violation of their code of conduct by saying he made certain employees feel unsafe at work. And the I, like, I've seen this guy, I've seen interviews with this James DeMore guy. He's the epitome of a teddy bear, do you know what I mean? I don't think he's harmed anything in his life. But, and They need some safe spaces, that's what they need. They've got them, and they still didn't show up for work. <laughs> but I mean, his wider point was Google has created a bit of a paradox. Google, on, on the one hand, says, yes, men, women... Members of different ethnicities, what have you, they're all exactly the same. 
But at the same time, saying you need people of different genders and different ethnicities to make a stronger, more diverse workforce. But yeah, if they're it's like all a mixing pot. But the paradox is, if they're all exactly the same, what difference does it make? And that's something that this guy, James Dillmore, was pointing out, that you've, Google's created this weird paradox, but people are afraid to point out the contradiction. They keep their mouth shut and they just go along with it. Well, what Google presents is diversity, but it doesn't have true diversity. When you break down Google's employee demographics and compare it to other companies, they do have pretty good levels of diversity they've got the most women software engineers and everything but they don't have the they don't allow for a diversity a true diversity of opinion no within their within their ranks and that's what his point was yeah but why but why say that if everyone fucking knows it he's stupid but that's the thing he was airing he's not like a racist sexist misogynist he's just a bit stupid no i don't think he's stupid that's the thing like i would buy the line that he's stupid if what he's unemployed at the moment well i would buy that line he's stupid if what he wrote was like a gross misinterpretation of the actual science. But there have been, I've seen responses, basically in an essay, you have to give citations to the points you're making, right? And this guy did that. A lot of the people he cited have chimed in on this and said, yeah, listen, he basically, he interpreted my work correctly. There's almost nothing that he wrote that is actually scientifically inaccurate. So is Google anti-science then? No, they're just anti-reality. Like I say, they're not, they're not allowing a true diversity of opinion you know which is basically saying the truth and like we say in today's world it's very controversial to say truthful things i was reading an article about um statistical amounts of people going into silicon valley and working in that industry and how it seems unfairly leaning towards male candidates um something like 20 percent or something women i can't remember yeah can't but this is this is a complete misinterpretation this is what i'm talking but, about it's but, a misinterpretation of the statistics but what they were looking at was uh like in high school or up to high school like boys and girls show exactly the same aptitudes like women are, uh, achieving exactly the same standards but looking at choices to go on to further education to learn how to do computer sciences or whatever it's going to yeah, be software engineering yeah. whatever a lot of them the women feel unless they were really good at it, they didn't deserve or they shouldn't go and pursue that career because it's not safe. And a lot of them will go towards the female-dominated social sciences. Yeah. Whereas men didn't necessarily have that perceived attitudes to, oh, I'm not amazing, I'll learn on the job and I'll get on with it as I go. So, And that was yeah, one women, of the defining features of why is, women didn't pursue it. This is one of the things this guy James Damore pointed out. It's kind of interpreted that men are overconfident, whereas women are underconfident. Mm. But I think it's more men just kind of aren't, they're not bothered so much by inner self-doubt as much as women are. But bear in mind, I'm not saying that it's impossible for a man to exist who, who is probably the most doubtful person ever. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's perfectly possible for a woman to be less doubtful than a man. And also the main point that he tried, tried to drive home, like, like you referenced a 20% figure of uh, the number of, like the gender breakdown of people that go on to do software yeah. engineering, it's eighty, roughly eighty percent men, twenty percent women. Google's demographics of software engineers mirrors that almost exactly: eighty yeah. percent men, twenty percent women. And a lot of people are saying, "Oh, Google must do more. They've got to raise that percentage up for women." But how can they do that if the pool of female software engineers is significantly smaller than the pool of male software engineers? They would have to actually start hiring women who have not been trained as software engineers uh. and pay them to be software engineers just to bump up this percentage. And that's what this guy was going on about. Google has introduced all of these initiatives. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars and it's amounted to nothing other than 
everybody's afraid to say what they really think at work. Mm. And uh, I think that kind of work culture is obviously not healthy, where employees feel like they can't speak up. But why? Do, what, what is it about the world today? Everyone's got their little billboard on their computer. They cross the bear that but, everyone has to know about. Why do you have to share your political opinions with everyone? Why do, they, why do they think their opinion is worth anything? Who gives a fuck? It used to be the workplace was free of politics. It didn't matter. Like you would, uh, as a company CEO, you used to actively avoid getting into that quagmire of like what my political stance is and what have you. Yeah, but now it's very easy to have a political stance, isn't it? Like someone who's never You're been obligated. interested in politics before, we even talked about politics before, they can walk into their office and pretend to be clever just by going, oh, I hate that fucking Trump, he's really stupid. So like uninformed people, but there's big topics. And of course, everyone's on social media, so it's rammed in your face yeah. all the time. I think this breaks down to equality of opportunity versus equality of outcomes. And for the last 40 years, I would say the general consensus has been pro-equality of opportunity. But I think there's a lot of young people who grew up with that notion. And I think mistakenly, they thought equality of opportunity would lead to equality of outcomes, and it hasn't. And I think they're fucked off with that. No, because the, the, the only way they've been able to implement it isn't through equality. It, the actual word is positive discrimination. Which is obviously, yeah, yeah, what do you call it? Oxymoron. Well, you know, I know a few years ago, I knew some people who wanted to join the police. There weren't literally places for them because simply because of their race and the police. Only, White. So they said, we've got the ethnic candidate, so we don't need you really. So come back in a couple of years. But I think there's this weird obsession now with everything has to have, in terms of gender breakdown of men versus women, it should always be 50-50. There should be 50-50 in terms of software engineers board of directors should be 50 50 men women and i don't like if even if you lived even if you created a computer a virtual reality simulation where there was no systemic oppression of any kind whatsoever you would not have 50 50 parity between men and women on anything no because there's jobs that men don't want to do and there's jobs that women don't want to do yeah personal choice as well and there's there's some men who would rather do jobs that women do and some women who'd rather do jobs that men do but they're in the minority but at least now they can they can do those jobs like i'm talking about sewer technicians and deep like oil rig welders very dangerous jobs it's like roughly 90 percent men yeah where like a woman would say like why the fuck would you want to do that whereas a man would be like i really enjoy being covered in shit upside down and of of course, nobody's calling for there to be a 50-50 parity in terms of refuse collection. Nobody's like death at work demographics is 92% men. <laughs> nobody's asking for that to be 50-50. But like I said, it, even if you had complete total equality in terms of the eyes of the law, legal systems, the state's view of people, you would not have 50-50 parity. Likewise, it wouldn't break down on racial lines either. Like, if 10% of the population is Asian, you wouldn't have 10% of plumbers are Asian, 10% of board of directors are Asian, 10% of lawyers are, Like, do you know what I mean? It, wouldn't, it would never break down that way, even if you completely removed any sort of oppression of any kind. No, because culturally, different groups of people are attracted to different professions as well. And a lot of people do the same job that their parents did. This might be bullshit, right? Not necessarily right? what their parents did, or just their uh, attitude to be the pressured. best and earn. Exactly. Or maybe like 30, 40 years ago, but a few generations down the line now. You've got like generations of doctors. Yeah, what your mum did would be some, maybe it would have an influence on you, what you want to do, like that, you mean? Yeah, and also inheriting businesses as well. Like, your dad's a plumber, he'll give you his plumbing business. This might be bullshit, but I did read once about um, when China was actually communist, which is like 30 years ago now. 
the Chinese realized, okay, software engineering, this is a big deal. We need to get in on this. And so their universities introduced software engineering courses. What they discovered is that 95% of the applicants were men. Only 5% were women. And they forced, they made it mandatory for a certain percentage of women to go into computer science. And uh, when these women qualified and went out into the world of work, of course, they're only qualified to do one job. They had a career forced upon them that they didn't want. Mm. And supposedly hundreds, thousands of these women, they committed suicide. What? They were forced into a career they didn't want and they couldn't see a path to changing career. That might be bullshit. Well, that no, might have been made up. I don't like know. Bullshit. Coding was like really fucking atrocious in those years. Yeah, you, just you can be a lazy coder now. If you're just spending hours staring at a screen, being forced to type, being if, forced to. That's the difference. You could always quit your job and do something else over here, but there, you quit your job, you're blacklisted. Yeah, it's called repression, right? Where you're made to do something you don't really want to do, or you're made to think something you don't, you don't have a natural disposition to actually thinking. In that sense, I find Google to be a bit repressive. Because they pay lip service to this idea of, yes, we like diversity, including diversity of opinion. But then when someone actually comes to Google with a different opinion, they get fired. There was a poll that came out, apparently, of Google employees, Googlers. 56% of them disagree that he should have been fired. They think he should have been kept on. Only so they could whinge about him more, I bet. Do you think he should have been fired? If he broke the terms of conditions of his contract and gave, you know, the management the saying is if you give them long enough rope to hang themselves by, if he did that willfully or unwillfully, he did it. And yeah, black and white in my book. So yeah, he definitely deserved to lose his job. Why? Because he broke the terms and conditions of his contract. He by ups- doing what? Upsetting Debbie in accounts. <laughs> What if they misconstrued what he wrote and then... Doesn't matter, Debbie's, that, Debbie was crying into a latte. <laughs> so reality doesn't matter then, basically. Yeah, those were real tears. Were they real? I don't think they were. I don't think... Uh, like, basically, listen, if there were don't really was... Don't pressure Debbie. Don't ask her this too many times. If Debbie genuinely felt like she couldn't come into work, like if she felt so... Threatened. And unsafe... She's got some sort of phobia. You I, know. Know what I mean, that's not a rational fear of any kind. I know, it's, it's completely irrational because cause Debbie's actually like a six foot five uh, Dutch bloke. I thought you were going to say <laughs> Malaysian. Halfway through, his, halfway through his transition, I who you could just say, like uh, deck this guy if he walked into the office. I thought you were going to say butch lesbian. No, that's that's like so 90s, man. It's all about, it's all about Transformers, <laughs> robots in disguise now. Uh, 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 woman of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, I'll be man of the year. <laughs> yeah, keep going, switching back and forth each year to win it. But I think um, this is a real, this is the kind of thing that scares me. It's plain as day if you actually read what this guy wrote the Google memo, that it was completely misinterpreted and misconstrued by the press and eventually by Google themselves. And my concern is if this could happen to him, that his words could be willfully misconstrued and then he ends up getting fired for it. What's to say that couldn't happen to anyone? The world is changing. It has changed. Google, as far as most people are concerned, is the internet. Like BBC, it's the first station that comes on when you switch on the screen. And it, we're always talking how there's, in a short space of time, there's been a lot of contrasts. Like maybe 10, 15 years ago, people would like jokingly say, oh, you know, I better not say that on the phone in case the CIA, you know, will wiretap me. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, we used and to now, all laugh at that. Yeah. And now it's changed. People are like, oh, Alexa, you know, could you show me a video about, you know, far-right marches? Boom. No. <laughs> and immediately, so people are, like, talking to the internet now and, and telling it, 
you know, so it's things. Yeah, and the internet is presenting them exactly what they want. Yeah, and it's it, not going to challenge them in any way. But and all that information is written down and stored somewhere. And like I say, mm-hmm. Google owns all that information. And this guy, he said something unpopular. He thought he was in a sort of small little forum when he said it. He thought he was in a guarded circle, and it was taken from that. And the same thing could happen. Like I say, you, with this, with your own computer use or speaking to Alexa, you never know what's being monitored and what you're being flagged up as. So Google is, it has its fingers in a lot of different parts. It's a very powerful entity. What did you tell me? What was their... their... Google's old strap line was, don't be evil. And that kind of, what they're telling you there is, Google isn't evil. Honest. Now, what, <laughs> what kind of company or even what individual person would feel the need to explicitly tell you, I'm not evil? Yeah. Yeah. It's an they, evil motherfucker. It's a bit like when you say, I'm not racist, but there's only a certain number of options that can come out there, none of which look, make you look like a particularly good person. Yeah. We're it's- not evil, but we will fire you for going against the hive mind. I think um, Google were completely wrong to fire him. And I'm getting really worried that... They like, had to. They had to fire him. He wanted to leave. Like I said, I think it was a suicide note instead of just a look at yeah. Well, I mean, you can, when you read the Google member, obviously it, com- it comes through that he knows if certain people were to read this like higher ups he probably would get fired but i think that's really fucked up because nothing he said was scientifically inaccurate like when he was talking about the averages of the dimorphism of male female humans whatever do you know what i mean it was all accurate and we're at a point now where we're denying reality for the sake of emotional safety rather than actual physical safety in the face of overwhelming statistical and numerical evidence evidence. like i'm always going on at you about i'm talking about aliens and stuff and we'd rather do a show about aliens where's the evidence there's tons of evidence out there from like radar military commercial pilots private pilots ufos don't equal alien life yeah but like i'm saying there's just there's just yeah i'm just saying there's like a there's just an avalanche of evidence but there's this the public on large just turn their back on it. They just don't want to hear it. They've got their fingers in their ears because it, 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 it will just damage their worldview. And like I say, it's the same thing with, with, with these sort of people at Google. They've got crazy views, but they found themselves in positions of great power. <laughs> so we've just got to cope with it. We've got to put up with their shit now because they're going to sort of be setting the agenda as what yeah. we can say or not say. Because a lot of people were pissed off that this guy got fired, I think unjustly. But then they kind of felt better a bit when this statistic came out that 56 of Google employees thought he shouldn't have been fired. My concern, though, is that of that 56%, how many of them are on the director level, the managerial level, where they're actually making decisions that can affect the company culture? Because if it's zero... If 0% of that 56%, then it's like, well, who gives a shit then? They can't do anything. They're powerless to change it. doesn't make me feel any better about using Google products, which I do use a fair amount of. I, I think the Google upper echelons of management are actually very clever in the way they've created an environment, like we were talking about before, where you've got this sort of self-policing thing. Where, um, But that's totalitarianism, isn't it? It's quite that's a, how it works. It's quite an efficient, smart AI type, type of way of thinking, where you actually get people to sort of out themselves kick themselves out so it's like self-weeding isn't it it's, it's a great machine but it's, isn't it not akin- it keeps people down as well so like all these I was people about to say isn't this akin to north korea well forget about that they're not going to be like asking for raises or you know trying to like outsmart their boss because they're just going to be towing the line sharing memes on the internet <laughs> that trump chicken thing google are owned by parent company alphabet who owns alphabet well, the shareholders, I guess. But Who are they? No idea. Alphabet also own YouTube. YouTube recently, in the last couple of years, they've gone 
quite Orwellian as well themselves in terms of their uh, the ban hammer and their censorship, their m- various methods of censorship. The, the algorithms of YouTube, they, they control like, you know, you, you might have um, a channel that gets a lot of views because people will actively want to seek out that channel and who are into whatever it's talking about. And subscribe. But, but that channel, despite the number of views it gets, it won't pop up on the trending page. It won't pop up on yeah. the homepage even for you. Sometimes it, when you subscribe to a channel and they upload new videos, YouTube doesn't notify you. And that's the whole point of subscribing to the channel is you get notifications. to click that little bell. Yeah, now you do, yeah. Just, but just so you can get a text for some reason or something as well. <laughs> like, I mean, I follow centre-left and centre-right YouTubers. It's definitely lopsided. It does happen to left-wing YouTubers every now and then. Once in a blue moon, like, their channel will just get randomly deleted and they won't know why. Mm. But it happens way more with the conservative YouTubers, the right-leaning YouTubers. And I think the way... Uh, YouTube employees kind of rationalize it to themselves is is that you remember when we did that episode on the alt-right and we said the left sooner rather than later the left will just declare anything they don't like as being alt-right Hitler. white nationalism yeah. I think that's how YouTube employees rationalize it to themselves when they go oh well, do you know what that guy's an alt-right YouTuber I'm gonna block I'm gonna make sure he never gets featured that nobody ever clicks on like say they watch a, a video on ethno nationalism I'm going to make sure that the relevant video section never shows anybody who's too right-winged. Unless you knew that person's name and you type it into the search bar every time. But then it, that means those certain people aren't getting exposure. Yeah, and um, demonetization. A lot of right-leaning YouTubers have had 90-plus percent of their videos demonetized. But again, it's a private entity. It's a business decision. Yeah, it's underhanded, though, man. Like, you know how you were saying how um, almost everyone is becoming politicized now and almost all companies are starting to adopt political positions? Yeah. I can envision a day where uh, your gas and electricity company heard you spouting some I'm anti-mass immigration opinion and they just cut (laughs) off. They're like, fuck you. We're a private company. We can cut you off if we want to well you extrapolate it to the ultimate end game which is where you get rid of physical cash and it all goes onto e-cards e- or chips hopefully not chips apparently the youth the youth just, of britain don't use cash at all well, they could just turn off your money exactly that i'm really like do you know what you know Actually, how they're gonna do it there's gonna be adverts about have you ever lost your wallet have you ever lost your credit card do you remember the panic that you went through when you realized you didn't have access to an atm instead of carrying a card that you can easily lose sew this computer microchip into your hand right and then what's going to happen thieves are going to realize they can cut people's hands <laughs> off and go down the atm and take out all their money so you know what they're going to do they're going to say oh don't put it into your hand put it into your forehead put it in your dick <laughs> then when you're going people running around with dicks in their hands <laughs> i don't know it's going to be like logan's run where the chips start glowing red whenever you hit 40 and it's off to the fucking meat processor for you you are to be replaced by a syrian migrant <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> we got a runner <laughs> best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal state. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. Thank you. 
<laughs> just drop that yeah, mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> but it's, it's what I mean, though. He was very deliberate in his body language because he was being hard with his words, but he wasn't using any gesticulation or finger yeah, the pointing. The only thing that's hard about his words is him stringing them together. He just sounds like <laughs> such a fucking invalid every time he opens his mouth. But I get the feeling he just watched Game of Thrones. I am the queen, the mother of dragons, father of dragons. <laughs> and you will be met with the fire and fury. That Astaroth has never seen before. I, uh, and then North Korea spears a B-52. Because <laughs> I don't even watch Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> but just going on Facebook, people basically post yeah, clips the important it. things that happen in every episode anyway. So it's like I'm kind of watching it, it didn't abridged. So for all your criticism of Trump, that tells me in your world, you're quite happy for North Korea just to continue on as it has has been. But you can't say that. You can't say that. You can't say either you agree with Trump or this is the alternate. Yeah, Yeah. you can. You you can't. Well, you you can, can, but you'd be factually inaccurate. There are multiple other options. There aren't any other options because he's said now that he'll he'll attack them if they get attacked with well, yeah, fire and fury so there aren't any other options that's that's what's on the table so that is, is, is a binary choice the question is is donald trump actually seriously talking about nuking north no, korea no Never. much like his fucking wall which is turning into a <laughs> fence <laughs> a fucking chicken coop fence well, you've got to be able to see he's through making it, threat because they throw drugs over it ah of course you need to see them to stop them yeah because everyone laughed when he said that, and then it turned out it's true. They do actually throw drugs over the wall. And sometimes it lands, like, perilously close to the Mexicans who just got through. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but we're talking about the, the US Armed Forces' response to an attack on Guam. Would they nuke them? No, of course not. There's no way in hell. There's probably 20 different scenarios they've got for retaliation. Yeah. Probably one of them is nuclear. And that's like... But we, we all live through Chernobyl and Fukushima. That was just a meltdown. We all know about fallout, and no one wants fallout going into South Korea or China or India. Or that shit gets spread around the whole world. So th- there's absolutely no way that Trump, in his wildest dreams, would use nukes. He's he's not a stupid man, as as I keep saying. The U.S. military would not allow him to. No, but they, but they wouldn't allow. But it. The, the U.S. military has the capacity to completely obliterate the North Koreans within like 15 minutes using different weapons other than nukes. Yeah, I refer to the Korean War where America tried to go in and uh, wow flex its military muscle and then rapidly, rapidly retreat. Well, they wanted to use when China came over yeah. the hills. Oh, they didn't follow the road like we thought they would. They came over the hills. Mm. I mean, that's the yeah. Obviously, China is the real problem here. I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's a bit like the Cuban Missile Crisis. But even then, Kennedy was president, then wasn't he? Yeah, Kennedy mm. at least consulted multiple people, previous presidents, yeah. saying that, "Am I making the right tactical choice here?" Before actually, he he had an well, informed decision. Not... Trump, on the other hand, gets a piece of paper and it goes completely off script. That was just rhetoric, right? That wasn't Donald Trump actually declaring his plan no, exactly. to deal with North Korea. But that, that's, that's dangerous in itself. His ability to just essentially spout whatever he wants with absolutely no backing of authority other than his own <laughs> station of power. It's... Thank God for it's checks in, and it's balances. Incitement. Oh, yeah. But yeah, just like in terms of stuff the Americans would do, they, like as we speak, they've probably got about three or four stealth bombers circling above North Korea, you know, completely undetected. And uh, each one could hold like 20 rockets. Well, North Korea's got China. I think one of the most powerful weapons that Korea's got is uh, essentially hackers. 
Sony. A lot of them, well, yeah, a lot of them go off to Russia to train up at university. Then they go to China to refine the skills, and they go back to North Korea, and that's when shit goes down. Yeah, but yeah, may- maybe that'll be a good thing that will come out of this conflict. We'll get loads of more like celebrity and corporate hacks, courtesy of the North Koreans. You know, like they did to Sony Pictures, they released all the emails. Hopefully, we'll get a few more of those juicy tidbits coming down the line soon. Yeah. What were you I saw say, um, basically a lot of people were blaming Donald Trump for everything that's gone wrong it's in right, North Korea. You can't Korea. do that. He's inherited a lot of shit, as you said before. I think yeah. some of the reactions have been hysterical. There's the, there is the British equivalent of this as well. I call it the everything was fine before Donald Trump fallacy. And the British equivalent, obviously, is Brexit. But there, yeah, you're right. He inherited it. And I, on Twitter, the only person I saw who wasn't talking absolute nonsense about this was Gary Kasparov. who was saying, listen... This is why you don't kick the can down the road forever. Eventually, it's gonna, that can's going to end up in the hands of someone you don't want it to be in the hands of. Donald Trump and Kimmel, Kimmel Jong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his, pre- his predecessor, Obama, he, you know, he should have done something when uh, you know, his, his father died. You know, uh, Kim's father died. That critical handover period. But it's such a secretive country. You know, he could have died a few days before anyone knew about it. Well, again, at that time, they weren't considering uh, North Korea as a nuclear threat. They, they, no, they, as far the as they were, well, yeah, but they thought their ability to miniaturize a, a nuke to put it into a missile was fucking decades away. Yeah, yeah. and it happened a lot faster than they anticipated. But, but they Obama, thought they had time. Obama did say something similar to what Donald Trump said. But it's not something that lends itself to an easy solution. We could obviously uh, destroy North Korea with our arsenals. But aside from the humanitarian costs of that, they are right next door to our vital ally, Republic of Korea. One of the things that we have been doing is spending a lot more time positioning our missile defense systems so that uh, even as we try to resolve the underlying problem of of, uh, nuclear development inside of North Korea, we're also uh, setting up a shield that uh, can at least block uh, the relatively low-level threats that uh, they're posing right now. Which is a problem when it comes to Russia, because they don't like that. Yeah, but at the same time, what Obama said wasn't like a direct threat. And you could see that he was pausing as to whether or not he should actually say that sentence. He was actually stating a matter of facts. And it's like, yeah, we could do these things, yeah. but, you know, he it's explains- not really worth it at the end of the day. Because I'm sure he's actually getting harassed by other people to do that. And he's saying it's, yeah. it's not the time, it's not needed. Okay, so that was back in 2014, and so long ago. Two things, <laughs> two two important things have changed since then. One is Donald the, Trump. One is one is <laughs> one is one is the technology, the DARPA, range, the, the range of the, the missiles, range, and also yeah. the the, the miniaturization um, payload. Of, of, Couldn't fit it into a missile. Yeah, yeah, now they can, but they could also fit it into like a but shipping container. He, he knew then it was coming. It was going to be eventually they were going to have the the ability to do it. Yeah, and and the second time. thing that's changed is. Um, China. China is actually on board now with China, with Russia, and that they're actually more behind Trump now uh, and uh, telling North Korea to sort its shit out. They've said if, um, if North Korea bombs Guam or any American territory, they, they will be neutral, officially neutral. They, will, they won't back either side. Yeah, because they know, they know as well that America aren't going to nuke no. North Korea like a lot of people think they're going to. They don't have to nuke North Korea, though. They no. can rain down a ton's worth of yeah. fucking munitions. And, so, and, and so, so, so at the end of the day, China isn't worried about getting any nuclear fallout and having three-headed well, baby goats. I mean, first and foremost, no power stations to blow up. There you go, you've like, lightened oh, your you've workload already. Yeah, uh, only Kim Jong's palace. Exactly. But uh, one little dot. 
I just really hope Trump proves you wrong because I hope that d- despite the fact he's sort well, of like he saves us all. Yeah, like, d- despite the fact he's sort of like an embarrassing older uncle. He's at, an oaf. At, at a school disco, stumbling around trying to be cool. You know what is more important in life: what you say or what you do. What uh, you do. What you do. Yeah. And so you know what has please, what has Trump done well, let's so see, far? Well, let's that see we in can four hail years. Respectful. Well, he's the, the economy in America's doing, doing all right. Doing yeah. all right. Jobs, employment's sort of up, j- yeah, jumping yeah. up. To Tim's point, what is worse, words or actions? All Donald Trump has said, he's used a bit of saber-rattling rhetoric. Kim Jong-un, or whatever his name is, he's it's been launching... Firing missiles he's over been launching over missiles into the sea. ...over Japanese ships and yeah, things like yeah. that, do you know what I mean? He's been acting really recklessly. And I was really, I was um, relieved to hear on uh, Radio 4 during the week there was this Japanese ambassador, mm. and the BBC presenter was going with that, oh, this is all Trump's fault kind of line of questioning. And the ambassador was like, listen... Anyone who thinks Donald Trump is the one that provoked this is like out of their minds. No, I completely agree with you. But you kind of almost expect this shit from the lunacy that is the North Korean <laughs> Empire, or whatever you want to fucking call it. But Donald Trump is effectively the leader of the free world. And you expect <laughs> a certain class or caliber Decor. of, of you know, public speaking, <laughs> being informed. <laughs> he said it eloquently enough. He's not a politician, though. He's not a politician. He is now. He is now. He's a world leader. He's yeah. fucking president. You had like Hillary Clinton, who carefully steered and built her career around herself 40 years to give herself the opportunity to run for president. And she was beaten by a man who just took yeah. it up as a hobby a year and a half before. Hillary Clinton is officially the worst candidate to run for president ever she lost to donald trump mm. but like i mean i think the american public they voted for someone who wasn't a politician they did want something different you, you, and yeah. so you can't expect him to say these sort of great statesman like things look how popular scaramucci was because he was well he was basically well, like, he was a cowboy that's, man but that's, that's a lot to do with the way the media or popular television and things like that in america go forward exactly the americans love an exciting story, to something to gossip about, something to be able to slag off or respond to. Um, um, and I think them more than any other country in the world. That, if you have watched American TV, American news, it's fucking the music. horrifying. It's Everything horrifying is dramatic. to watch. You just feel dirty and slightly stupider. It's, it's just flash. That's all it is, a flash in the pan. And there's no substance to it. And that's a bit like the way that Donald Trump actually goes about communicating. Everything's yeah. these snippets, the tweets, everything just just links to these, read, these threats that just come out of nowhere and unexpected. When you read when you read a transcript of what Trump says, mm. it's a meandering diatribe. Oh, it's right? a ramble. <laughs> but very short sentences. Mm. And so an editor, like a, a news corporation, yeah. they've got the 10, 20 second sound bites they, they there. Need to, yeah, it's they almost clever it if he's actually doing yeah. it on purpose. I mean, they do the same. 4D like, chess, man. 4D chess, Trump is playing. <laughs> it's the same as like narrative fiction. You know, you use short sentences for effects, but you use them, you splice them into a longer, more complicated paragraph. Read it all together though and he's a loon. Oh, completely. <laughs> <laughs> but for a long time, he is what America thinks of as a businessman, a successful businessman. And for 25 years now, Americans have wanted a president who ran yeah, a business. Yeah, was successful. Mixed success. What is Tim looking for? Well, look, I just want to see a quick, because we've seen like a lot of the American, we've seen the media showing our response. I just would be to see like the North Korean oh TV God, report it, on what Her, the fourth one down, her reading, just oh, the passion, the hatred in her voice. And also, she's constantly just reading from a script. That's another example. <laughs> North Korea has promised a thousandfold revenge against the United States. <laughs> thousandfold. Fresh sanctions against the country Washington has passed through the United Nations. At the latest ASEAN meeting in Manila, 
Japan reported heated discussions over the North Korean crisis among the ten Southeast Asian member nations. North Korea is not a member. Is our nuclear possession a threat to the world? Or is it just a threat to the United States? We want to make it clear that the worsening situation on the Korean peninsula, as well as the nuclear issues, were caused by the United States. But yeah, that's bullshit. It's not. America didn't force North Korea's hand. Mm. But I mean, obviously, there's been that long-standing kind of consensus now for like 60 years that if you have nuclear warheads, America doesn't fuck with you anymore. They can't change the regime. But just like I said, the whole idea of nuclear proliferation, you know, we sort of sorted that out in the late 80s where um, there's, there's a lot less and uh, just making more is, is stupid because these yeah, weapons... This is why you don't want to Oh, no, exactly, new... which is why it also angered me when Trump turned around and says uh, that he's strengthened and refined the Americans, uh, America's arsenal of nuclear weapons so that they're stronger than before. I mean... Obama it's... ordered it and it happened under Trump's presidency, that classic. All these, like, liberal people were pissed off now. They just sat by idly for decades and watched mm. these poor North Koreans like the average North Korean citizen being brainwashed by their government, it might actually ultimately turn out to be useful for them, like a good way of dealing with the Kims of maybe getting North Korea more into the Chinese control and let Trump be the full guy, this useful idiot. Let him be the one to take them out and we'll just play it cool and eventually we'll China be able to... China does not want a unified Korea. Well, they don't want fucking America on their doorstep, basically. Yeah, basically, that's why. They need that buffer. I remember Donald Trump a couple of weeks ago, not a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, he started leaning on China to try and lean on North Korea and he started getting flack for it. I think as oafish, as poorly spoken as Trump is, that's not the wrong strategy. I don't think that's wrong. He's got some good intentions. <laughs> the road to hell is paved with Donald Trump's golden fucking... Very true. <laughs> very true. His hairdo. <laughs> well, of course, the crazy thing, America's always had a massive garrison at the border of where in Seoul since mm. the since the end of the Korean War and I, I'm wrong to say the end of the Korean War because technically the Korean War hasn't ended it's only been a ceasefire oh, it was a truce wasn't it it's, yeah it's some a, sort of truce tentative ceasefire and the, you know they'll yeah. just shoot each other north and south nasty glances across the border <laughs> still technically at war yeah, yeah you're right and that's why South Koreans are trying to um, they're trying to set up these automatic sentries on the border so, 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 so in the case of it all going to shit in the next couple of weeks in North Korea, all the refugees, they won't rush south. Some will try, but China, China will, ha- will have to deal with a big problem. So maybe China doesn't want millions of people turning up on its doorstep. It's a, it's a tricky situation. But like I said, it's nothing like the Cuban Missile Crisis. The whole world won't, won't be engulfed in a thermonuclear war. Well, why are they so obsessed with all the talk of nuclear holocaust? If the, like, I mean, look, you can't say there's zero chance. Yet our media has been speaking about it as though... It's inevitable. This is the end. I saw like a Hysteria. lot of journalists. I saw Owen Jones in particular posting like um, old 50s, 60s, 70s PSAs about if you see the white flash, this is what you should do. Climb under your desk. Yeah, basically. But it's useful to know. Well, no, there's nothing you can do. There's, yeah, there's you're going to get vaporized. And take it. You're yeah. Either, yeah, you're either going to get vaporized or you're going to die poison. long and slow. <laughs> poison. Radiation, radiation, poison yeah. The most eerie one I've ever seen. It's called like um, Protect and Cover. I think it's called, and it's from the early 80s. It's a British one that was never actually shown, but it was meant to be shown in the case of like the Third, third World War hotting up. Is this one where all the windows smash in and you see no, cars crashing? No, no. It sounds like some STD that's, prevention. That's called um, Threads, which <laughs> that, yeah, was like a drama, yeah. which is like harrowing. Then that shows you all the fucking... See, when you say out. Threads, I think of Roots. <laughs> <laughs> this is wicked. My favourite bit is when the old woman pisses herself. <laughs> the panic. The blind panic. Remix. 
How does North Korea and Trump end? Because what happens if North Korea calls with a whimper? Trump, what happens if North Korea calls Trump's bluff? He'll pull his Trump card on them. <laughs> which is the combined might of the uh, US Air Force and NASA. Or are you saying he's got some kind of satellite laser? Hopefully, but th- there'll be regi- regime change. I think they're going to try and get some regime change going. Like, in the end of the China day... China wouldn't allow it, man. If they can get some generals on board, some of these North Korean generals just make them see sense and say you can keep it going, but that, no more fucking Kims and nukes. Yeah, because Kim Jong-un's pretty much, he's irrelevant. But the military runs North Korea, he doesn't run it. <laughs> In the end, Trump will do the same as prior presidents, just kick the can down the road. Let someone else deal with that ticking time bomb. Who? Bernie Sanders. Oh, God, who would it be? <laughs> it might be Kid Rock. Who could it be? Or The Rock. So earlier in the week, we went to see a one-night-only showing, although actually it did get extended to two nights. Shin Godzilla! fantastic with plenty of respects and comedy and could be enjoyed by uh, people of many different cultures it was no it was really good um as long as you they, can they read. nodded to the past yeah well, they nodded to the past like uh, including old like ideas of godzilla and the music and so forth but also they made godzilla their own because i think the trend was to make godzilla uh more into a kind of hero figure where it was actually saving japan but this one went back to the roots where he's just coming yeah. to destroy i, I really enjoyed the the bits where he was stomping around the city and destroying it. Um, Those are normally the best bits. <laughs> it is a foreign film, and so don't go into it expecting some sort of roller coaster Hollywood blockbuster. It's worth seeing on a big screen. But he doesn't fight another monster. He's the only monster no. in the film. Here it was called Shin Godzilla, which is Japanese for New Godzilla. And that's exactly what it is. It's a reboot of Godzilla. Or excuse me, Shin Gojira, if you want to be pretentious, be an overweight anime fan. But it, yeah, it was a throwback to the original 1954 Godzilla, where this strange sea monster just emerges out of the water and destroys Tokyo. Had a lot of fan service, which was well received. Like you mentioned, Cameron used all the original sound effects, a lot of the original score. It definitely did its job in whetting my appetite for wanting to see more of this Godzilla. Because what I loved about it was there were obviously scenes in the night time. You could still see what was going on. Like, because the, the, the American one, Gareth Evans directed it. A couple the 2014. Of years yeah, it was great. But all the, a lot of the best action happened off screen or in the dark, which I hate in a lot of modern films. Yeah. It whereas, was an artistic choice to limit how much you actually see of yeah. Godzilla in there. Whereas in this one, you get some beautiful long lingering shots of Godzilla. Yeah, because like the old Godzilla, he moves really slowly. You really get a sense of his scale. He's a big one. That's for sure. <laughs> it looks a lot scarier as well, like the, the model design. It's, uh, His face is much mm. more aggressive. And of course, um, the American one, I think the Americans made Godzilla like 470 metres tall. So the Japanese, when it came to this one, they made it 480 metres. They added, they made that wall 10 metres higher. But like, like I said, don't, don't, don't go into it expecting to know any of the other actors or, or, or players. And really, there won't any, be any characters that you'll really be able to get behind or follow. Because a I lot of yeah, the American woman and uh, the future prime minister of Japan. But there is a classic arc with the main protagonist where he's uh, like a junior minister. I'm not ready for this. No, not me. Let it be someone else. And then by the end of the movie, they've grown. He's running the show. But yeah. Like Tim says, it's a very Japanese film. It's obviously in Japanese dub, uh, in- with English subtitles. Not a massive criticism because there, there is a lot to enjoy about this film. But the only character you've got is Godzilla. Who just yells a lot and destroys things. <laughs> well, he grows literally and figuratively. You know, 
goes onto the land, yeah, goes so out again, comes back on the land again. A bit of a twist oh, with this Godzilla. There are multiple forms in this Godzilla, and this was like a little bit controversial with the diehard fans. But I mean, Godzilla's always been slightly different in every film. Aesthetically, he's always looked a little bit different. And the story behind Godzilla and his character, what he is, changes from movie to movie as well. Oh yeah, the Americans portrayed it as like some long-lost dinosaur that got hit by a nuke in Japanese uh, or American... Testing, uh, bomb testing, Man has done it to itself. So the movie opens, straight away we go straight into the action. Tokyo Bay, the tun- there's this really long tunnel that goes under Tokyo Bay, and it starts flooding, but it's flooding 90 seconds into the movie. Our first sighting of Godzilla is this giant tail emerging out of Tokyo Bay, and you're told on the, in the dialogue, something's happened, something's changed, like there's massive heat coming off of, out of Tokyo Bay now, and then suddenly, like a, almost like a kind of mini Godzilla emerges out of the water. Sort of overstuffed newt. I thought it was going to be a monster that Godzilla was going to fight, but no, right, it yeah, was Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the... <laughs> Those early scenes actually reminded me a lot of the uh, tsunami that happened in Japan a few years ago after the earthquake with all the, the boats flying down the road. And uh, yeah. you, you got that sense, um, in, in, I can imagine in like an American film, they would have shied away from sort of remembering such disasters. Like you were saying earlier, it's a very Japanese-centric film with not so subtle subtext and undertones of well, Japan is the only country that got hit by A-bombs. They, they name-check Hiroshima, don't they? And then you had uh, Fukushima only a few years ago with the nuclear meltdown. And of course, that's what Godzilla is. He's basically like a walking nuclear power reactor. But yeah, in this one, Godzilla can change into multiple forms. He can evolve extremely rapidly. (laughs) So when he first comes onto the land, he's sort of waddling almost like a snake. And then he evolves so he can stand up. He always had the thighs because he was pushing back with him. He just didn't have any forearms. He couldn't lift. And then he eventually managed to stand on his hind feet. He had to evolve into a different form in order to stand up. Yeah, before that, he had to evolve lungs. So he's a, he's essentially, I think they say he contains eight times the amount of genetic information as a normal human being. The most evolved creature on Earth. In that he's constantly evolving. <laughs> what, what I did find cool about it was, uh, like I said, because he wasn't spending half the movie fighting another monster like King Ghidorah or someone, that they did that thing where they used Godzilla as a sort of magnifying glass for Japanese society, or like contemporary Japanese society, because they do poke fun at the bureaucracy of you know meetings where like three people will have to say the same thing in a row before the final person can nod his head and agree to it even though they're all in the same room anyway yeah so, so, so the prime minister heard so it first so they, time so they do poke fun at that and they actually reference like maybe this is the way forward when a guy suggests a much more informal way of doing a meeting yeah. um but then it also sort of respectfully sort of honors the sort of fantastic organization of and, and like teamwork you know when all the emergency services and the army pull together because unlike the american the American adaptations of Godzilla. This is like the original Japanese Toho, almost like they were kind of like uh, B-movies, where it's most of the film is you're following these scientists running around like headless chickens trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, what is this thing. This is like a throwback to those ones. I think I'd say it was definitely a metaphor for Fukushima in the sense, do you remember Japan tried to fix it all on their own? without bringing in Americans, Russians, French, whoever, and it didn't work out, and then they had to rely on America to help them. 
what you described that all comes from the Japanese habit and tradition of just saving face yeah and the shame culture yeah and like the final thing they're doing now and it also goes back to the start of the Godzilla film there's this, there's an underwater shot of all these um, nuclear waste that's being dumped all these cans and massive and they're actually doing that with Fukushima now they're planning to, to dump a load of this waste into the water it's already spread out did we like this new twist on Godzilla is that he evolves into multiple different forms well, it's only going to happen once, isn't it? Well, no, he did it four, four. No, he did yeah, it three but, times. But I mean, in the if, movie. There's, if there's a sequel, he's not going to be that little tadpole Zilla again, is he? He goes all Ripley, doesn't he? At one point, so no, when, when he, he comes out of the for water. the first time out of the water, and you can see him shimmering. Yeah, his skin is still soft. But then the next time you see him, which is only like a day later, he's suddenly four hundred feet taller, and his skin is rock hard. It is a fucking metaphor for North Korea. They, <laughs> they let him go the first time he comes on land, and they could have used conventional weapons like because it was still quite soft and small, but they didn't, and it went back, and it came back twice as big and bad. Yeah, a chain gun on a Apache helicopter might have hurt it. It wouldn't have killed it, though, I don't think. But... Trump's, Trump's got to act now. <laughs> Fire and fury on this. <laughs> it's funny how it all ties together. So like I was saying, like in, in judging it, there was a lot missing from it that I would have liked, like more action, more monsters. It moves at a very quick pace. You're never really bored, to be honest. The plot is always being progressed yeah. by and, the dialogue and the yeah. characters in each scene. And, e- and even the way it's shot in those slow scenes, like if the guy's putting a phone down, the camera will be underneath the phone and it will like come to crush you. Yeah, like it's quite sty- it's very clever. It's very yeah, clever. It's quite stylistically shot. You say lack of action, but there were some really good city destruction scenes, which is basically, listen, when you're going to a Godzilla movie, that's why you're going. You want to see Godzilla wreck Tokyo. He actually, <laughs> where was he actually going? He was being a bit like Kimmel... Kimmel- Kim Il-jung, you know, he was just <laughs> directionless, yeah. just wandering into the city. It might have been something lost in translation whereby, um, like, there's a lot of on-screen text, and I don't mean English subtitles, I mean, where, whenever it, the location changes, you're told exactly where it is, what train station this oh, is, yeah. and I think he- Japanese audiences would have an understanding of what's in that area. Oh yeah, but even like like you say, there was text everywhere. Even when like a type of helicopter came on the screen, every vehicle yeah, it would was show listed. You what show you what type of vehicle? So I, if you swear, were like, I think uh, they even put the serial number. Yeah, <laughs> if you were like a sort of Adirak, you'd be your checkbook. You'd be checking off lots of vehicles. Yeah. The way the movie was shot, there's a bit of like recall to the old Godzilla movies, where it's a lot of low angle, like the camera's stuck in place and just pivots from a very low angle as Godzilla very slowly moves past the camera. But they are, there were some amazing shots in terms of um, when Godzilla figures out how to use his atomic breath. Yeah, these sort of wide, very wide, long lingering shots gave you a real sense of the destruction. But like, literally you see the city from like up in the air five miles away and like half it's on fire with this big lizard walking around. You get a great sense of scale and, and, and also what's happening, you know, you're you not get a, lost at any point. You get a sense of just how big Tokyo is. But I always feel sorry for, for Godzilla when he gets like beaten for no reason. Oh, there is a reason. When you, you see him in Tokyo. You, you see couldn't him just pain. let him. But he's like a wild animal, isn't he? You've got to feel sorry for him. He's only doing what comes naturally. Yeah. I thought it was a very interesting use of music, the way the music like cut in and out. There was one point where the first time Godzilla stands erect, it cut to the original 1954. Bah, 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 yeah. 
tonally, it was very grounded in reality as well. Like yeah, it's quite gritty, wasn't they it? They use a lot of like uh, third third person evidence, like news, fake news reports, and people's tweets will fly across the screen and social media pages. You'll see like bits and bobs. Yeah, so it's very- at one point they spliced to Alex Jones just going nuts <laughs> yeah. in this like monster costume. Which way are they going to go? They might not be able to like bring in the whole sort of aliens thing with other monsters. They might go still down the ecological route. I'm interested. I want to see more. Some choral stuff when was, like the city was burning that was, they were very powerful scenes where the whole screen is just on fire but I thought it was a very beautiful film very well directed extremely well edited and I would definitely recommend that you go out of your way to go see it even if you're not even really um, a Godzilla fan yeah, and in terms of films, it's it's not that often you get to see like a big monster stomping around. Um, and when you do, like the it's, Godzilla has always done it best. Cam, would you recommend it? Yeah, it was really good. It was it was fun. It was enjoyable. It had a quirky uh, elements of uh, the yeast uh, interspliced into it, which can put off some people. The action and the character model were faithful to uh, past incarnations of Godzilla. And yeah, it was. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. It was yeah, fun. it's 90% CGI, but done in such a way that make to make it look like miniaturized models and things. Yeah. Well, all of the close-ups of the buildings were actual miniatures, which must have taken days, weeks, months to shoot. 99% of what you see of Godzilla is CGI. Yeah. It was hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, it, it very much did look like a puppet. <laughs> My thanks to Tim and Cameron for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you, you're quite welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you got something out of this podcast. If you did, give us a like and a subscribe. Give us a good ratings if you use iTunes. Five stars, if you would, please. Tom Bendick. I know, I'm like an Uber driver. I say nothing for 20 minutes and then I demand a five-star rating. And you'll give it to me because I said nothing for 20 minutes. Now, I've actually look, looked for this show on the internet and it's all about the thumbnail, I think. Have you Googled us? It's whatever, just when I listen to it, it's all about the thumbnail. All about you need like just tips or something so people just click on it. Just You've got a decent enough logo. <laughs> That's what I mean though. Thumbnails, it's all about the tits. Have <laughs> Godzilla with some tits. You can get like twice as many views, I guarantee. It was a quite busty Godzilla this time around. <laughs> Chest protruding. Control the game like boom, rate rock, clock, dollars, flip, tips like a way to block shots, styles, way to let my lyrics annoy. If you're holding up the wall and you're missing the point, get the fuck up. Simon says, get the fuck up. Put your hands to the sky. Brooklyn in the back, shooting crash now. What's up? Girlies, rub on your titties.